Welcome to the first ever episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Magazine. And if you listen to the intro episode, you'll know that I'm just a normal guy with a lazy eye. So I promise to keep these intros short and sweet because I have much better and cooler people on the show that I get to interview and that have much better stories to tell than myself. So as I promise you, these intros will be short and sweet. And today is no exception to that rule because we have an amazing guest. It is Kinsey Grant. She is the podcast host of the Morning Brews Business Casual. Oh, the Morning Brew, ever heard of it? Yeah, they have over 2 million subscribers of their daily newsletter publishing day-to-day news of everything that you need to know, what's going on, and it is a gem of a newsletter. So you definitely need to go subscribe to that pod, um, to that podcast, but also to the newsletter. Um, Kinsey was gracious enough to come on the show and talk about her life in journalism, what it's been like to uh, to cover COVID-19. Obviously, um, we recorded this a little early before I launched this podcast, so you'll understand what's going on um, in the coronavirus land that we live in. So really exciting interview um, from Kinsey. I'm so thankful she was able to join us. And so without further ado, here is Kinsey Grant. Awesome. I want to welcome on a very special guest. A huge, I'm a huge fan of hers. She is the host of the Business Casual podcast from Morning Brew, Kinsey Grant. Kinsey, how are things going? How have things been? Well, I thanks. Feel, I feel like you've probably had a crazy, yeah. crazy past few months. <laughs> I absolutely have. Um, but first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am I'm glad you're a fan uh, and I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, the last few months are definitely a couple of months that are going to go down in history as the craziest maybe ever so far, at least in my life, uh, which has been awesome and super challenging, but I think also really rewarding. I was thinking today about some of the biggest lessons that I've taken away from this, and there are actually a lot more than I thought at first when I, you actually go to put them down on paper, um, which is it's been encouraging for me as we kind of adjust to this kind of being the norm. You know, when I left my apartment in New York, the first time I left, I was absolutely certain I wouldn't be gone longer than two weeks. And here we are like five yeah. months later and, right. and things are still kind of up in the air. But um, I, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my head above water and everybody's doing their best and trying their hardest. And it's been great so far. That's good to hear. I mean, I feel like with everything changing, people are I don't feel like there's much of a middle ground. I feel like, um, you know, people are either really succeeding or thriving or, you know, or the, or the latter. And, and it's been a rough time. But um, as I mentioned before, you, you've, you're the host of the Morning Brews podcast, Business Casual. You've had guests like Barbara Corcoran, Mark Cuban, The Fat Jewish, Gary Vaynerchuk, dozens of other business leaders, world influencers, answering all your questions about business. I wanted to ask you right off the top, how does it feel to be on the other end of the podcast uh, as a guest? <laughs> it's a different muscle for sure. It's one I'm trying to get more used to flexing, but it, it's definitely weird for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, but so you talked a little bit about kind of what it's been like in, in the media realm. I, I wanted to get like your sense of what has been like the best part about covering COVID-19? I think, you know, like you mentioned earlier, we're in a, a time that no one's ever seen. No one uh, certainly that's alive has ever been a part of. And then, you know, what's been like maybe the worst part about this from a media's perspective and covering it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
I think I'll, I'll start with the worst because I like to end on a high note. Um, I yeah, think sure. <laughs> <laughs> the hardest part of this has been losing that in-person interaction. I'm sure you're used to this as well. But it's really, really hard to read a person's body language to understand uh, their vibe, to, to, to use that word, which I, I hate doing. But it's hard to understand <laughs> what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Um, or it's maybe a little more difficult when you're not in person. You know, Previously, when I was recording all these podcasts, I was sitting at most two feet away from a person in a recording studio. Right. You get to see their expression. You get to see when something really excites them. And we've obviously tried to adapt as much as possible, use tools with video, prep people more than we usually would. But it's just hard to replicate that in-person experience. Uh, I also just really, really miss my coworkers. <laughs> I miss yeah. bouncing ideas off of people. Um, and, and that's kind of been tough. But I think the best part of this for my team, specifically talking about uh, business casual, has been that we have been more creative than ever. I think having the time to really, you know, for, for a lot of us, all we were focusing on was this podcast, which of course there are, are uh, downfalls to that too. But we had a lot of time to think creatively, to push ourselves, to try new things, to reach for more people, better guests. And I think a lot of our guests have also been more forthcoming with their time, more willing to sit down and talk for 90 minutes or even two hours in some cases because they frankly just have less going on. Um, you know, Someone right. like Ray Dalio, we, we had tried before and couldn't get him on the show. And finally he was like, well, you know, I've got some time. I'm in my cabin in Vermont. Might as well record a podcast <laughs> with you guys. So we've tried to take advantage of that as much as possible. Uh, and then just covering COVID in general, it's given us no shortage of things to talk about, um, which there are, are positives and negatives to that uh trying to figure out what is the biggest question in business when everything is a big question has been kind of tough but from my perspective leading the the editorial charge it's it's nice to have so many options yeah i feel like there's this notion that oh you turn on the news and it's the same thing every day and i i just beg to differ i feel like every day there's a whole new something completely new and unheard of is going on. Yeah, I, think, I completely do you, do you, agree. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to think about how all-encompassing COVID-19 and this recession and even these protests against racial injustice in the U.S., like, right. this has affected every single sector. There is no sector that has been immune to the last three months of living life. Even You know, some of them, it's been a great thing. Some of them, it's been absolutely mm-hmm. detrimental to their businesses, but no one is safe. Um, this this has kind of been, in some ways, an equalizer, putting everybody in the spotlight at different times. But um, you know that that means that everybody gets their turn eventually. Yeah, certainly. Um, well, I I you know before we get more into business casual and your life at the Morning Brew, I kind of wanted to start maybe at the beginning. Um, you know, before we before we hopped on here, you t- mentioned that you were visiting your parents down in Florida. Is that where you grew up originally? Yes, I uh, I usually don't lead with it, but I am a Florida girl. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not a Florida man, so it's okay. Um, no, I, right. <laughs> I grew up, I was born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida, lived there my whole life, um, and my family still lives there. And then I went to school in Virginia and moved to New York yep. right after, and I guess the only logical next step is Boston, <laughs> moving my way <laughs> yeah, up the coast. Yeah, you just got to keep coming and keep packing on winter clothes. Exactly. I feel like. That that was definitely a change for you. I'm originally uh, born and raised in Southern California, Orange County area, and uh, went to school out at Providence. And so the winters was uh, was an eye-opening experience for sure. Yeah, I remember my first winter in Virginia. I called my mom in like October, the first cold day. I was like, Mom, mm-hmm. we have a serious problem. I am woefully underprepared for the winter, but I loved yeah. it. <laughs> what, was your, what was your first snow day like? Uh, my first snow day was absolutely magical, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I had seen snow a total of two times before I moved to Virginia. 
Um, yeah. So the first one was awesome. And then I moved to New York and I realized that it's not always awesome. <laughs> That's Yeah, no, it's, it's especially when you get up closer to the Northeast. I've seen things that I don't think I would have ever thought I would see as far as the weather goes. But yeah, hey, I think California also has like the wildfires and the earthquakes that the East Coasters out here are like completely fascinated by. And meanwhile, I'm like, oh, yeah, like there was a, a, a crazy brush fire in my backyard, like the yeah, summer of no, 2018. That's like and I have totally and I'd terrifying. show them the pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, so you mentioned you, you went to school in, in uh, Virginia. You got a degree in journalism from Washington and Lee. Um, growing up, was it was that the like number one thing? Did you always want to pursue journalism? Well, kind of. I mean, I, up until I was like about eight years old, I wanted to be a vet like every kid does. And then sure. I uh, actually was an anchor for my lower school, like my elementary school had a news program um, that would go out a couple times a week. And I was an anchor for the news program in the fifth grade. And from then on out, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, when I got to, you know, all throughout high school, I wrote for the newspaper and, and writing was my passion and I loved doing it. And then when I got to college, I got more into broadcast uh, and I was the weather girl. I was a producer. I was an anchor. I did everything for our uh, broadcast show in college on campus, um, which was yeah. the only news broadcast for this where I went to school. It was a very small town. They didn't have a local news station. So we were the local news station. Um, and I thought that my future was going to be in broadcast. Uh, and then I took a business journalism class and that really changed things for me. I recognized the impact that I could have writing about business and about the economy and helping to make it more tangible for everyday people makes a huge difference. And business and the economy are things that affect everybody. Um, you know, covering a local election is really important to a specific group of people. But when you're talking about unemployment rates or you're talking about some big company's earnings that's in everybody's 401k, I felt like right. I could have a lot more impact um, when I was writing about that. And I just I found that I had a, a knack for it. I really enjoyed doing it. So I switched to business in college and kind of just stuck with that ever since. Yeah, certainly. I know I, I know you mentioned it earlier on your podcast, kind of that difference between local news and kind of how the national news cycle has been kind of I, I wouldn't I, I don't know, maybe you, you would use the word like crushing or kind of um, getting rid of these kind of smaller news news places. Um, what, what's like the big biggest difference between kind of that local news like you did in your, in your college town versus like maybe covering like global markets and, and all those things? Yeah, it, they're definitely just two very different beasts. I mean, covering everything that was going on in one small town as a 20-year-old was really daunting in some ways. Um, because there is just so much to do and there are so many stories to tell because every person in a small town has a story and they count on a local news outlet to tell their stories. They are not right. going to count, you know, someone where, where I went to school in Lexington, Virginia, isn't going to expect someone from the Washington Post or the New York Times to come tell a story of a local business that needs help. They count on local news to do that. So that was a huge mm -hmm. task. It's, it's a it's, you know, an, a daunting task at times. But I think part of the issue that we're seeing today is that so many people, graduates coming out of journalism programs, don't think it's as sexy to go into local news. Because like, let's be honest, right. it's not. It was super sexy to say I was moving to New York to cover the economy and like work on Wall Street. That was awesome for yeah. me, especially yeah. when like my other job option going out of college was to work in local news in Tupelo, Mississippi. Like that was an obvious choice for me. Um, and right. I, I think that it's hard to make local news sexier and to prove to people how important it is. But the best journalists that I know 
and probably the most famous journalist and anybody listening to this knows started in local news. It's the best way to cut your teeth, as we say in the business, to cut your teeth and get the experience that you need to be an absolutely insanely good reporter. Mm. Do you think it stems from like that connection that you maybe have with the, the, the local town that you're covering rather than just like, well, I'm covering the whole entire world. So it's hard to, harder to connect with my viewers or my listeners or whoever's reading my posts or reading my, you know, is it, is it that kind of connection that kind of stems from the local news and why it maybe is a, a good place to start? Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. I mean, some of these big outlets, the outlets that we talk about, like the Journal and the Times, they have reporters whose entire responsibility is just covering one specific company, which is crazy when you think about it. But like, that is the kind of attention to detail that you need to have the best Mm -hmm. coverage. So when you're in a local newsroom, you need to have that much attention to detail to the people in the community that you're covering, um, which can be difficult because there's just frankly not enough people and they can't pay as well because they're just not able to compete in terms of getting ad partners like the big tech platforms or even like some of the more conglomerized media platforms too. Yeah, certainly. Um, so during your time at Washington and Lee, I read on your LinkedIn again, I, I'm sorry for <laughs> creeping on it, but you interned at the Luger Center, NBC, Washington and Bloomberg. Um, and I read on your LinkedIn that you wrote over 60 original stories for NBC. So that's like a story a day during a working week of your internship. So while I was teaching swim lessons to toddlers all summer, you were writing stories about top 10 markets, oil refinery you know, outages, developing social media plans. Did you get much of a free time in your summers? What was that like? Well, I appreciate you um, boosting my ego here. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I got plenty of free time. But I so where my school required you to have internship credits before you graduated. So it was always front of mind for me that I needed to get an internship. Um, I actually participated in a program at Washington and Lee called Washington term where you spend the last four or so weeks of the semester um, in DC you intern there so I kind of squoze two internships into one summer that summer um, which I don't recommend (laughs) for anybody it was a lot Um, but yeah I was lucky with my internships and I think it's that's one of the the things I care about most right now is trying to make sure that college students get the resources that they need and feel like they can connect with their, you know, not to say like career idols, but with people they look up to in their field. It's a huge part of getting the connections you need to get an internship. I haven't gotten a single internship that I didn't have a connection already or that I didn't reach out to someone with a cold email to introduce myself before I applied. It's all about making yourself stand out in a a crowded field. And especially right now with internships being canceled and the future of higher education is so uncertain. I just hope that anybody listening to this also knows that like, my inbox is always open. I've tried to make myself as available as possible to anybody with questions about my career, my trajectory in media, or even any in any way, shape, or form. Um, and not only college students, you know, like if you have a question, just ask it. The chances are someone's going to be willing to answer it. Um, has kind of always been my philosophy. So far, it's worked all right. <laughs> I would recommend it for everybody yeah. else too. <laughs> no, uh, you you bring up a good point, and just kind of how like obviously with everything going on, internships getting canceled, the the future of higher education it has a huge question mark over it um but you know when when i don't know maybe when we when we were in college before this all happened internships seemed to be like a must do or a, like a must have on it on a resume are you in the belief that like college students need to have internships to succeed in their field or their you know their um, path of studying or whatever they're they're doing as far as like moving on in a career like to be honest i never had an internship i coached 
swim lessons for five years and I'm now working in sales in Boston, you know, for a tech company. But do you think personally, like internships are a must have? I think it it really depends on the field you want to go into. For me, Mm -hmm. the internships were absolutely invaluable. That's how I feel like I learned the most um, outside of covering the town that I was living in during college. It was the internships and, and meeting new people and going to networking events, whatever. But for some people, that's not necessary. You know, I think for if you're like going into medicine, maybe, yeah, if you want to like be an investment (laughs) banker, like you probably should try and get an internship. But for me, you know, it it just is a matter of creating opportunities for yourself right now. I also think, you know, when I was interning five or six years ago, it was a different ballgame. If you want to go out and create an opportunity for yourself, you have every opportunity to do that. You know, you can create some sort of profile on like any of these social media platforms create a brand that is you what is your brand and go out and just do what you want to be doing and people will take notice of that and if you have a body of work to prove that you have put in the hours without getting paid without someone you know having to to supervise you as an internship supervisor that speaks volumes right. to me just taking the initiative yourself if no one's going to hand it to you that, no, that's I, I really like that point. I feel like, yeah, you're certainly right. I think it definitely depends on the field of what you're doing it or what you're, in what you're pursuing. You know, medicine, certainly you want to be um, on the forefront and looking at what medicine looks like. But um, no, that I, I think that brings up a really good point. And so um, you graduated from Washington and Lee in 2017. Um, before your graduation, a big, big thing was happening in the 2016 election. But more importantly, the media had this huge dark cloud over it and this fake news craze as a rising journalist and, and someone who was like looking to like you were it, it was no like turning turning back or try, trying to um, switch majors but like you know with this kind of rap that journalists and media had what was that like and you know how do you how did it make you guys feel growing up and seeing that I mean, look, I love a challenge and <laughs> I am never going to back down from it. And to me, it it galvanized me even more to go in and do a good job and do good work and good journalism and good reporting and put out work that I was proud of and that I knew could stand on its own. Um, and, you know, covering the election was a, a real, real trip. Um, but I think that I learned a lot from it and, and it's something that we're constantly thinking about at Morning Brew of we are offering a service for people that they might not otherwise get without our product. You know, that's it's not like everybody has access to the Wall Street Journal or has access to these reports that we can get. So trying to do our best to, to do good journalism, to be a resource for people is something we think about daily. Um, and it's something I'm proud that we think about daily because it is so important. And I think the the work should speak for itself. And ideally for, for us, it does, especially, you know, with, with the podcast, talking to people, you don't always know what they're going to say, but taking the time to go back and fact check them to try and push them where I feel like it's appropriate to push them when I think that they're on track to say something that you know, not that they would say something dangerous, but to say something that maybe right. is misleading or might confuse people to push them to clarify that. Um, or can you just say that one more time? So I know that what you're saying is, is where what I'm understanding is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, right. It's, it's been a challenge, but I think something that is making us all better, you know, the, the good journalists get better and the people who are contributing to the, the fake news crisis are, um, eventually I think that the, the reckoning will come. Yeah, I, I, I hope you're right. I think the whole headline grabs and 
you know, quote unquote, clickbait um, craze is hopefully, you know, people like more and more people are getting educated and fact checking and realizing, okay, not everything on Twitter is true. I think we're seeing that now kind of like we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, some good things are coming of of the coronavirus and, and people are listening more and learning more and really like diving into these issues. Um, but yeah, I think the Morning Brew is doing an excellent job at being those quote unquote the good guys, right? And being good journalists and making sure that everything that you guys are putting out is true. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you're right. People are getting more educated and I hope that we can all come out of this crisis with a better understanding of the world around us um, or at least just understanding that there are people out there who think differently than we do. Um, that's always been one of our goals with the show is just to push people to be more curious and to think in a way that they hadn't ever thought before. Uh, so I'm optimistic, but maybe I, I'll call it cautious optimism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, certainly. Because there is so much uncertainty and, and you can't stop somebody from from writing what they're going to write. And you certainly can't stop people from, you know, reading or watching what they want to watch. You exactly. Know? Yeah. I think you, I think you see that with like, I'll just, just as an example, you have the CNNs and the Fox News and people are going to want to watch what they want to listen to. It's hard to get somebody to sit down and listen to a news cycle for hours on end with everything that they don't agree with or, you know, vice versa. So I, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's it was an eye opening experience to be home for so long and understand the way that my parents interact with media in ways that I haven't interacted with media in so long. Like my mom never misses the six thirty news on CBS ever. Yeah, I'm like, same. you're still watching yeah. broadcast news. <laughs> I, what year I know, is it? I, I know but you you bring up a good point. I think. Do you think like our generation? I like to think we're in the same generation. I feel like you're so much older and wiser than me. But <laughs> <laughs> I but, guarantee um, I'm not. Definitely not wiser. <laughs> but, but like, do you think that's going to be changing? I, I, You can see it changing right now with the generations. But, yeah, like, uh, the older generation is still, like, tuning into that 630 news cycle when they literally have constant news at their fingertips if they just were to open their phone. Oh, yeah. And you can't tell me they're not on smartphones because my parents all have smartphones. No, yeah, same. <laughs> it's just that they, they, the tools are used in completely different ways. And I think that it... I don't want to say that we're going to like age into a different age of media, but that's exactly what's going to happen. You think about something like think about your parents using Snapchat as a news resource is like bananas. They would never do that. My, yeah. Or at least my parents would never do that. I don't even think they have Snapchat. Or if they do, they're not friends with me, which rude. Uh, but I yeah, don't think no, they would I, use it. I would block mine. But. <laughs> but yeah, like that, that for so many people in our generation has actually been a resource where even if you're just like reading the Daily Mail Snapchat story, that's something that you turn to as a media resource. I only watch the evening news when I'm at home with my parents. Like that's, I don't even have cable in my apartment. So the, do I. the yeah, the <laughs> habits change. And I think that the companies that can adapt to them in a way that feels native and doesn't feel like they're pushing something that doesn't fit are going to be positioned to succeed. Yeah, certainly. Um, so your first job out of college, you worked as a flash writer for the street. You covered, you know, personal finance, investment tips, breaking news and so on. You said you, you took that business journalism class in college. Was finance always your niche in journalism after that? Or is that something you would always like to write about? Yeah, for sure. I, I actually started out thinking that I was going to do politics, write about um, politics and, and move to D.C. And I don't know, like become a character from like House of Cards or something. But um, sure. I then, yeah, took that business class, really, really enjoyed it and switched my major to business journalism. So I took a bunch of econ classes. Um, and I think that I'll probably stick in this field for the foreseeable future. 
Um, I just find it to be intriguing in so many ways. Yeah, no, because it's always changing. Right. It doesn't feel like you're covering the same thing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. And, and especially at the street, my job was basically whenever news would come across the wire, I was writing about it. And, and it was about time and trying to be the first out with something, um, which was very stressful uh and a very a very different experience than what i'm doing now which is like i would say that was you know a mile wide an inch deep and this is very much the opposite working on this podcast um but it was a really eye-opening experience to better understand how markets move why they move what the psychology is behind it um and then also just try to cover news for a very different demographic um you know i'd spent at that point most of my journalism career writing for a very small town uh, and then when I got to the street, I was working for Jim Cramer and I was writing for investors who had millions and, um, you know, needed advice and needed to follow these stories intimately. And I was writing for professionals. It was just very, very different for me. Yes. People are certainly a lot older than you and you want to kind of have a, a voice that they're going to resonate with, not like who's this 22 year old. Exactly. Right. But I, uh, they, uh, I will say that because I was the youngest person on the team who was basically writing for, like, let's be honest, old white men, because I was the youngest yeah, person okay. on the team. I, was, I wasn't going to say it. I was no, going to let you say it's it. It's true. <laughs> they, they stuck me on some of the most interesting beats, which was great. So I was like, I was covering um, cannabis. I was covering like yeah. spiked seltzer revolution. I was covering crypto, um, all the stuff that they thought a young person would want to talk about. I would pitch and I would get to cover pretty exclusively, which was awesome for me. That is awesome. Awesome. Shameless plug. When I was a marketing major at Providence, we did it like we had I had an all group or all guys group um, doing like we just had like a huge capstone. And we decided that why why is it so like daunting that a guy can can't drink a spiked seltzer at a party? And our recommendation was just to like change the can from that like tall skinny can to like a, a beer size can. Literally the day after we presented White Claw came out with these like you know, beer can looking cans. And we are like, I, I think that's an A, but well, there no, that's, you go. That, like, <laughs> but no, that's a really cool, like, I like that you were able to cover the kind of the younger things or the hipper things, quote unquote, that are going on. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, I saw you know, during your time at the street, you'd mentioned you interviewed uh, Marriott executives, executive members at PayPal, former federal reserve governors, and the king of the wolf of wall street, excuse me, Jordan Belford. Um, after graduating college, what is it like interviewing the kind of the most popular finance figure at the time? The movie had just come out. Was it, were, were you nervous? What was that like? It's uh, a real treat to me to like be underestimated. I love when people don't know how old I am and then I say it. Like that's that's one of yeah. the best parts of the job. Um, and I know how lucky I am that like I have been given a lot of resources to reach out to these people to make these um, make these accomplishments happen for myself. I, I recognize that entirely, um, but like for him we finished the interview and, and Jordan was like oh that, that was great that was great he's he's so hyper like just constantly moving and and frenetic yeah. um and he was like that was great that was great so, so how, how old are you and I told him that I was at the time I was 22 and he was like you're my daughter's yeah. age and he absolutely like flipped his lid that I was his daughter's age and he didn't know it for the entire interview um but he was awesome you know he is a very polarizing figure and the, that that interview went up on YouTube and there were a lot of crazy comments in the comments section. I think that was kind of my first taste of understanding the inner workings of like the dark holes of the internet. <laughs> um, but it was yeah. awesome. And, and he was a cool figure to, to talk to and to do on video. And um, 
I think that it spiced up some of our like old white men coverage a little bit with someone who was younger and, sure. and someone that we resonated with and, and thought about like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, but it was cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, um, you bring up a funny point just about the YouTube comments. I, I've always looked at YouTube comments as kind of the abyss of the internet. I see no reason why there should be YouTube comments. I mean, and it, <laughs> the, uh, Pete Holmes, I don't know if you're familiar with the comedian, he brings up, he, he did a bit around like, everything that you write on YouTube can be searched. So if you plan on running for office and you left a YouTube comment back in 2012 about some video that you found was stupid and you wrote some pretty nasty things, like it's going to come back to bite you. Like, like what's, what are your views on like YouTube comments? I mean, even like even TikTok comments, Instagram, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, look, you're exactly right. Everything you say on the internet, even if you delete it, lives somewhere. So don't put anything on the internet you wouldn't be comfortable admitting to at some point. Um, I think a lot of times that people must have missed the lesson of if you don't have something nice to say, don't say something. But at the same time... Yeah, wasn't that a great school lesson? (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, I, I also have to recognize the fact that a lot of constructive criticism is the way that people who have platforms get better or try new things or serve their audience in a better or more effective way so i am of the camp of uh reading all of the comments and all of the reviews on apple Podcasts and everything i think that at times it can be a little daunting like when you read something and you're like oh my god that's so unfair if you could just understand what was happening in this moment or like when people tell me i have vocal fry it drives me absolutely crazy because that's like a sexist cop-out comment to make like i just have a gravelly voice sometimes (laughs) it drives me crazy (laughs) and like it, it really affects me in a lot of ways but also now I'm aware that people are listening to things like that. And I think that it, it makes me speak in a different way and it makes me probably speak more clearly and a little bit better and a little more concisely at times. Um, so I read them all. I think that it it is an abyss of like the <laughs> cesspool at sometimes too, but yeah. um, it's, it's freedom of speech. Like if you want to say something, you are in a lot of ways given like free reign to say what you want. Um, but just keep in mind that, a lot of times there's a person on the other end of that who is answering all of your emails or reading all of your comments and they have mm-hmm. feelings too, okay? Yeah, well, it's easy to hide behind a screen. I mean, it, I mean you, there's like, we lived in, I think we missed it by like a hair, but the age of like cyber bullying has just been like, I, I got bullied in grade school. Like I got picked on at the, on, on the playground, like face to face. People were like, you, you, we don't know where you're looking, you're chubby, whatever. Like, I feel like I would be so much more hurt if, like, I'm a 13-year-old and I'm putting on an Instagram and then, like, all these people who I thought my followers were my friends are posting these, like, ridiculous comments. And it's such a good point because, like, anybody can comment on anything on the internet. Like, if you have a public profile, you are opening yourself up to absolutely everybody. It's not like on the playground where it was just, like, a couple of bullies who were, you know, had the, the... bright idea to say something mean this is anybody and you don't have to do it to someone's face you can pretend to be anonymous you can pretend to be somebody else um and it's more dangerous for sure like i we one of our our first actually was our absolutely first podcast episode um with scott galloway talking about breaking up big tech and he makes the point often about the correlation in teen suicides with the proliferation of big tech platforms like there's a reason Hmm that there more people are harming themselves. And part of that is because we just have 
a different world today than you and I like grew up in. And in a lot of ways, it's great. You have a lot more access to information and opportunity and other people and different cultures, but also a lot of drawbacks and and bad things that have come of it too. For sure. Absolutely. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the morning brew or we could talk a lot Um, (laughs) in 2015. (laughs) Yeah. Cause there's a lot to talk about, but so for the people who aren't familiar with the morning brew, you should be subscribed to the morning brew. But in 2015, Alex Lieberman and Austin Reef are students at the University of Michigan and launch this this weekly or this daily newsletter. Excuse me. They started writing the newsletter in their dorm rooms. But when was the first time you heard of it? So actually, not that long after that. Um, my okay. my college roommate went to high school with Alex. So when he shared it with his high school network, it eventually made its way to her. So I think I subscribed for the first time in probably like 2016. Um, when all of my friends were going through investment banking internship interviews and I subscribed um, and I stayed subscribed after that. So I was, I would say I was an early-ish adopter. Okay. But yeah, I mean, for, from it going to get two guys' dorm room to what it is today, I, I, it, to say that you were one of the initial subscribers, I think that's pretty cool. But um, when you joined in mid-2018, they had hit over just over 200,000 subscribers. Yeah. I think even the, the most impressive stat from that, and I think it's still true today, is that the newsletter has an open rate hovering over 50%. And that's at least double most other industry newsletters. How do you think The Morning Brew does this? We just take the relationship with our audience really, really seriously. Um, and I, I say seriously because it's something we value a lot, but that relationship is at times lighthearted, it's engaging, it's witty, but it's also informative. You know, we, we recognize the responsibility that we have of giving people the absolute best that we can every single morning because when you opt into a daily newsletter, you're ideally going to spend five minutes every day with us, with the people who are writing it. So we wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that every single issue that goes out, we go through like painstaking writing processes to make sure that it is the absolute best that it can be. Because we know, you know, how these people are going about their days. In a lot of ways, they're like the people who are writing it. You know, we're a pretty young workforce. Our writing team is mostly in our 20s. Um, we understand what it's like to be one of the core readers that we have right now. So we try to keep that in mind. And I, I think that also staying true to our tone and our voice and giving people something that's consistent every day and consistently good every day has really proven to be an absolutely worthwhile strategy. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the the pretty much the age demographic kind of the median of your guys' readers are early 20s, mid 30s. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it's like it hovers anywhere from mid 20s to, to early 30s. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had um, Alex and Austin on your podcast recently, and you brought up a really good point, And they brought up a really good point just on how are we going to keep these readers now who are 20 and 30 engaged when they're 40, 50 and 60? Similarly, how are you going to re-engage or re- you know, introduce this to the next stage uh, or the next phase of 19, 20 to 30 year olds? You know, so how like what what do you see as like kind of the way that Morning Brew is going to hopefully, re- you know, ultimately reach the entire audience? Yeah, I think that we've been really cognizant of the decisions we make from a, a content strategy standpoint in terms of are we going to give people, you know, it, it used to be an interview question of the day. Um, when the audience was mostly college kids who were trying to get internships, we recognized that as the product grew, the psychographic also grew, which was important to recognize and I think has informed a lot of our strategic content decisions, just, you know, knowing that 
as we grow, we're going to add new people to the fold and and that's going to be good. And we're always going to stay true to our mission of making business news fun and engaging for the modern business professional. But who that modern business professional is might look very different in, say, 10 or, or 15 years. But right. we hope that by still appealing to the part of them that's curious, the part of them that wants to intellectually further themselves, the part of them that wants to be informed and know what's going on in the world and still have fun doing it, that ideally doesn't go away with age. Um, be that an 18-year-old or a 45-year-old or the teachers who say that you know they teach us in class or the retired folks who write in and say that they read us every day. Um, so yeah, I think the biggest part has just been appealing to a kind of person, not a specific person themselves. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think if you try to go too specific, you're losing so much of an audience and they're going to disengage and not be like, this isn't for me. So trying to broaden that, but also understand who your readers are is really important. Yeah. And that's not to say that like there, there absolutely is room for specificity, especially in the newsletter business. But for us, mm-hmm. we found that this has been the most meaningful connection that you can make with someone is appealing to that part of their like psyche, which sounds so meta and weird, but it's true. Um, but it's it's worked so far, like knock on wood, <laughs> it continues yeah. to pan out. <laughs> For sure, absolutely. Um, you know, working working as a as a reporter and constantly staying on top of the news. What tell me like what your day to day is like? I think you know. I, I read this article and it, it made me chuckle when I first read it when they said like while others are watching The Bachelor at 8 p.m. you're up like looking at the stock market what after hours look like what the you know what who's writing what like how does what does your day to day look like and how often do you uh, like constantly check up on stuff like that all right I gotta be honest I know exactly what article you're talking about they wrote that <laughs> I did not I am an avid Bachelor fan if anybody wants okay, to okay thank about God it. I was gonna be like oh. <laughs> No, I watch The Bachelor like religiously. I've I've Thank not God. missed a season in years. Um, so yeah, but <laughs> she's normal. Everybody, she's normal. No. That said, yeah. So my my day was very different when I was writing for the core newsletter. You know, obviously when I was was doing that, which I did for like uh, up until April or so of this year. Yeah. So uh, about a year and a, and change. Um, it was very much reading everything I possibly could, trying to know everything that was going on in the world that day, which was a huge, like, Sisyphean task. But um, we just spent most of our mornings, like, reading other newsletters, reading other news outlets, responding to emails from listeners or from readers. (laughs) I can't help it. I say listeners. (laughs) Um, But now that I spend all, like, 100% of my time on the podcast, it's a little different. I am thinking a lot more strategically because it's not an everyday podcast we don't get to just say, here's the breaking news that you need to know today. We have to try to think a little bit more in an evergreen way. Um, we like to use the term evergrey. So our news consumption and the news that we're delivering in the podcast needs to be evergrey, half evergreen, that it has lots of shelf life, but not totally evergreen. So it still feels timely. Mm-hmm. It still feels like something that's top of mind for people uh, at that given moment when we're releasing the episode. So I would say I'm trying to make you know, the best effort I can to draw big themes across industries. Um, so part of that is reading a lot of news. Part of that is staying up to date as much as possible. Part of that is also taking time to not read news, to go like lock myself in a room and write down a bunch of big themes that I think are important right now and see if any of them like throw them all at a wall and see if any stick. And oh, that's, I, that's I, yeah, awesome. I also like, I work 
normal-ish hours. <laughs> it's not like I uh, I can't watch The Bachelor. So Well, as long as, yeah, I was going to say, if it's not taking you away from The Bachelor, then it seems to be okay. Do you have a favorite season? <laughs> Ooh, a favorite season. Um, that's a great question, and it's really, really difficult for me to answer. Peter's season, obviously, was the woat, um, followed closely okay. by Ari's season. Um, okay. I liked Becca's season of The Bachelorette. Okay. I, okay, you're gonna laugh. I personally enjoyed Peter's season, just because oh it was God. such, it was such a downhill spiral Because it was so such a quickly. train wreck. <laughs> I mean, like... Every, like first time Hannah Brown walked up and everyone's like, "Oh, this is great!" And then you realize, like, "No, this is really bad. Like, yeah. why is she here?" Things got out of hand really quickly. <laughs> and then it went all downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've I've joked um, with our producers about wanting to do an entire podcast about The Bachelor. Um, not that there I, are not plenty of them out there already, but I do love it so much. I'm like, is there a business? Angle I think there's here? a lot to learn from them. I think you, I think you could have them on the Business Casual podcast. I think there's certainly a lot to learn from yeah, some of them, for sure. And like the the cities, I'm I'm about to go on a tear, but the cities that they go, go, go to on The time. Bachelor are like they're paying a boatload of money to be featured. It's like, oh, welcome to Cleveland, Ohio. Like this is not a, a vacation destination for most people, but they're paying for prime positioning on The Bachelor. And I just, I think I wanted to do a story about it so badly. The timing hasn't been right, yeah. especially now, but yeah. maybe someday. Yeah, do you think, yeah, I think the Browns definitely um, increased their fan base after that episode aired. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, so you talked a little bit about what what you how you started at Morning Brew, writing, the, writing as part of the, the daily newsletter. Um, whose idea was it to start the podcast? Take me through kind of that whole idea how you guys turned it into a reality sure so you know from from the early days of my time at the brew and even before i joined um there was always demand for an audio product people wanted us to you know either make a podcast or make like an alexa integration or something that would read the newsletter but we didn't want mm -hmm. to go into the audio space until we felt like we really had something to add to the conversation um, there are a lot of podcasts out there. There are also a lot of bad podcasts so out there and, and people who are just doing it as an afterthought and not something that they feel really passionately about or that they feel really strongly about the prospects for. So we wanted to wait until the time was right. The team was big enough that um, we could make it happen and, and do it well from day one. We also thought long and hard about whether or not we should just do a daily news podcast. It would have been easy. It would have been what people expected. Um, or I say easy, it would have been relatively easy. <laughs> it would have been relatively expected. But we thought, you know, we, we do the newsletter well. Let's not try to reinvent the wheel with the newsletter. There's a reason it's a newsletter right. and not a podcast to begin with. So let's not touch that for now um, when we were launching podcast number one. And we decided that the the audience that we wanted to attract with an audio product were the people who were writing in saying what are your thoughts on this i want to know more about this do you have any more resources for this story the people who were genuinely curious and trying to learn more about a given topic that we wrote about in the newsletter so that's how we came upon the idea of business casual um it was me and i call him producer josh in the podcast <laughs> but josh kaplan our, yeah. our uh, product manager for the podcast he and i just kind of spent last summer in like a, a we work uh conference room <laughs> just like mm -hmm. making it happen and making a podcast out of nothing which was a great learning experience but also really really challenging um but we were really confident in what we were building at the time and we remain confident in it today 
the podcast has definitely grown and changed and evolved in, I think, good ways so far. Um, and not only just, like, I've gotten better at pushing people, we've gotten bigger and better guests, we've tried new things, but I think we've also gotten a better understanding of what our audience needs and what they want um, and grown it at the same time, which has been kind of the, the best we could ask for. So it's been a great process so far, and I would say we will probably add more audio products in the not so distant future yeah like the bachelor podcast yeah exactly That's come up next. <laughs> okay great okay sign me up <laughs> um but before before you started business casual had you done any podcasting before or was this a new territory for you it was entirely new territory i'd never recorded or hosted a podcast before in my life i'd done a lot of live events i'd done a lot of broadcast and i made it clear when they hired me that i felt really comfortable doing audio was something i enjoyed doing um and i could do multimedia and luckily they believed me no that's awesome um but at the top of the show i'd mentioned some of the people that you've you've brought on the show what what's like the prep for you like going into these interviews with these people? Do you have do you have any advice for a novice podcaster like myself? <laughs> it's pretty extensive prep, but you if you found that thing about the Bachelor, you're clearly doing something right, <laughs> doing your homework. Um, yeah, I so obviously you know I I don't work alone. Um, I have a producer, Marilyn. I have Josh, and we have um, a lot of other people tossing ideas out there too. So it's not like I have you know the entire task of coming up with every single word that is said on the podcast. Um, They help a lot with developing big picture concepts, uh, helping pitch ideas and green light episodes and themes that we want to talk about. Um, But then it is basically on me to come up with the questions um, and then learn everything there is about this person that I can find on the internet um, about both the person and the issue that we're talking about in that episode. So when I'm prepping, I will send them some basic questions like here's an outline sort of thing of what I want to talk about in this interview. And then I will create my own doc with all of those questions expanded times like 10. Um, And then a bunch of of notes and uh, as much information about the person as I possibly can gather because the anecdotes really do paint a great picture when you're in a recording. So we try really hard to make sure we include as many of those as possible. Um, But that's, that's kind of the prep. I would say it's like, I don't know, anywhere between four and six hours of prep per episode after I send the guest the questions. So like four to six hours of personal prep for just me. Yeah, I've, I'm in the midst of I've, of booking interviews and and reaching out. I, my Instagram DMs have so many blue checks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way to do it. I mean, like, like I said before, yeah. what's the worst possible thing is someone like doesn't respond to you or like they block you? Like, um, well, at least you tried. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, there's really nothing I have to lose. It's not like I have a like I don't have millions of followers who are gonna like unfollow me or whatever, you right. know. So, but uh, no, that's that's funny. Um, who is a dream guest for the business casual business casual podcast? I love Paul Krugman, the Economist. Um, <laughs> we were talking about dream guests today. We we call them white whale guests, and he, I think Paul is probably mm. one of mine. Um, but also, really want to talk to Bob Iger. I think. That would be incredible, and I feel like I personally would learn so much from him. Um, those are probably two two big ones for me right now. Okay, and obviously like That's Mark Zuckerberg, cool. like Zuck, if you're listening. Yeah, right. I was gonna say, please yeah, come on my show. There's some Jeff, Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Couple, I feel like yeah, they don't I'll even they don't even out. need to be said. Like you just if if anybody knows them. <laughs> no, yeah, it was definitely more of a question of like who does Kinsey Grant want on the yeah. podcast? Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, maybe. But um, who? I said maybe even still Zuck. Like, I, I think that we could have a really spirited debate, the two of us. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. Um, you you had interviewed um, 
Delia Kai from BuzzFeed and Dee's Links recently on your show, and you asked her where she saw media headed, heading, and if she can give like 30 seconds if, of like where media is heading. So I'm going to spin it on you because now you're the guest. This isn't your <laughs> podcast. Where, like, where do you see the future of media heading, and what is it going to look like? Uh, okay. Man, I love when I go on podcasts. And, and you can have more than 30 question. seconds. Um, you I can have more than 30 seconds. Thank you. Thank you. I think that <laughs> the the future of media is heading toward brands, um, people who are willing to brand themselves to have a really identifiable brand and be very talented. Um, you think of some of the most famous journalists of our age, you know, Megan Tui, Jody Cantor, people like that. They have created a brand for themselves that is recognizable as being best in class. They're never going to miss a story. They're always going to be on. That, to me, is where the future of media is. Um, you know, if if the two of them, they already did write a book, but, like, if any of these really high-powered journalists wanted to create their own Substack or, um, you know, to, to write an email newsletter or to do a podcast by themselves, they have the resources to do it, and they probably have a following outside of just the platform or the brand that they're currently working with. So I think, to me, the future of, of media looks a lot like people following people not necessarily people following media outlets certainly yeah i think i think a, i think of a prime example in that is gary vanderchuk i think he was kind of one of the the pioneers of that personal brand like how like he, he's obviously spent years and years building this up like like how do you like for someone who has two thousand followers on instagram or or you know doesn't have you know isn't working for the morning brewer it just kind of has like that you know, I'm talking about myself here. Um, <laughs> but how do you, how do you see someone help like building their own personal brand? I think that the the idea that you need to have a lot of followers to have a personal brand is like such garbage. Like, if yeah. you are doing something really really good that no one else is doing and that people can't get anywhere else, it doesn't matter if you have a million followers who aren't willing to pay for it. If you have a thousand people who really believe in what you're doing and you can get them to pay a hundred bucks a year for it you'll be okay. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think it, it doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to have Gary V level followers on social media to be successful. Um, it's just a matter of, of building it brick by brick and, and staying true to what makes what you're doing the best and something that no one else can do. That's awesome. I love that. You just like inspired me. <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> but um, so do you have like a, a story that you've written a piece that you've edited or a podcast episode that you've done that will always stick with you that you like, mm. you're going to take to your grave that you're like, wow, like you finished it and you're like, that's the one. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, oh, that's the goal, right? Like whenever I come out of right. a recording, I always want to feel like that was the best recording I've ever done. Um, it's not always like that as I'm sure anybody who's listened to the show probably can, can understand. But I think that, um, the recording that we did with Ray Dalio from Bridgewater uh, was probably one of the most compelling interviews that I'd ever had. He's obviously like a huge titan of industry. He's like a super rich guy who's seen a bunch. He's been investing for 50 years and he's someone who I had followed pretty closely in my, my coverage of markets and of investing in general. Um, so going into it, I was really, really scared. I was like, I am not smart enough for this. Like who who thought that I could do this job and got, <laughs> like got all in my head about it. And then as we started talking, as I realized, like, just be yourself, he's a nice guy. If you say something stupid, like we can edit it out. Um, <laughs> I, I think that I got more comfortable and it ended up being a really honest and, and open conversation. And 
um, we got him to say things I think that he hasn't said in a lot of places, um, which was awesome for me just to be able to push him to think differently and to say different things. And um, yeah, it was awesome. And, and it was one that we walked away. We being the team, me, Marilyn, Josh walked away being like, people are going to love this. That was so insightful. And they did. And it was awesome to get that validation. Um, but that was that was definitely one that I learned a ton about. But I, I think separately, though, the episode that we did with the fat Jewish um, Josh Ostrovsky was like the most entertaining two hours of my life. Like my throat hurt from <laughs> laughing afterward. Um, so that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. But you brought you bring up a good point in, in ha- like especially on podcasts, you know, getting guests to say something that they maybe haven't said in other places because like you said there's thousands of podcasts out there who knows how many they've been on and they might just be saying the same things over and over and over again especially if it's like a press tour or whatever but how do you as a podcaster and as a as a reporter and you know working in media for so long how do you get them to say that one thing they're like they're saying this on business casual and i know they haven't said it anywhere else yeah i think a huge part of it is just doing your homework and and knowing what their talking points are before you start the recording because that way you can recognize it and you don't have to say like hey i've heard you say that before but you can rephrase a question you can ask <laughs> in a different way you can push them right. in a different direction that's been a huge tool that we've used um but also just using your own innate curiosity will get you a lot farther than you expect it to um, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Just be curious and ask, like ask the questions that come to mind. And if it, if it pops into your head, it's probably popping into someone else's too. Right. And if it fails, you can edit it out, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Um, so morning brew five years later in April of 2020, you guys hit 2 million subscribers. That's, I mean, that's absolutely incredible for a newsletter, but what is, what's next for the team? You guys have, you know, emerging tech, um, cause I'm subscribed to that. Um, and other like kind of niche newsletters coming out, but what's, what's the next, what's next for morning brew other than the bachelor podcast? Yeah. Well, other than the bachelor podcast, um, first of all, thank you. Yeah. 2 million was a, a huge accomplishment, something we're really proud of. Um, hopefully we'll be able to have a party when we get back to New York, everybody. Um, yes, yes. but I think that, that what's next is definitely doubling down on our newsletter products, making them the best they possibly can be, adding in some other products that um, are not necessarily just ad revenue based like the newsletter is, um, creating another podcast hopefully soon. Uh, And we just launched our third industry specific newsletter last week, Marketing Brew. Um, So making sure that those industry specific newsletters are top of the game also. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. But more importantly, what's next for Kinsey Grant? Ooh, what's next for Kinsey Grant? Um, Well, we have a ton of really, really awesome and exciting recordings coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, And we actually will, in in uh, not so long from now, (laughs) uh, be testing out some new formats for how we can interact with business casual listeners in a uh, a medium that is not audio. So be on the lookout for that. Lots of exciting stuff happening. Um, And I hopefully will be able to start flexing my writing muscles again. There you go. Awesome. Well, Kinsey, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on and and being on the other side of the microphone. I do have one final question for you. I, I ask it for all my all my guests. So um, Dan Brazilian is coming is is right. He wrote his own autobiography, and I don't know if you saw the tweet, but he is letting the fans or his followers come up with a title for the for his autobiography. I'm not going to ask you what you would call his because I could care less, <laughs> but. What so my question to you is what would be the title of your autobiography? Um, let's get into it. It's our tagline on every episode, and I feel like it just perfectly encompasses how I want to look back on my life. 
let's get into I love it. That. That's that's awesome. So get started writing on that, and then I'll pre-order that, and then okay, that perfect. can be the next. <laughs> perfect. Awesome, Kinsey. This has been a lot of fun. Um, be sure to um, subscribe to the Business Casual podcast. Go subscribe to the Morning Brew. Um, Kinsey Grant, she's awesome. She's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on today's show, and I've, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. These were great questions, and I really, really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll keep in touch. Okay. Okay. Sounds great. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Huge, huge thanks to Kinsey Grant for coming on today's show and being my first guest on the podcast. Such a cool story and the life that she's living right now, working in the media industry and and covering stories that will be forever remembered in a time that we're living in and a time that we'll never forget during this coronavirus age. Also, just like thinking about being able to interview someone like Jordan Belfort at such a young age. I mean, here I am sitting on my own podcast at the age of 22. And if I got the chance to interview Jordan Belfort, I don't know how I would react, but she's calm, cool, and collected. It's crazy that Jordan Belfort had no idea that she was 22 years old. So huge, huge thanks to Kinsey. Also, she made it clear um, to that anyone that is listening to this podcast or anyone that has questions around journalism or anything at all, um, her inbox is always open. So you'll be able to find her easily and she's happy to answer any and all of your questions. I know um, she's really open to that. Also, she's continuing to bring on incredible guests to the Business Casual podcast. So be sure to go like and subscribe to her podcast found on all streaming platforms. And also be sure to go subscribe to the Morning Brew. I think it is one of the coolest newsletters out there. Every single morning I wake up, I get to read what's going on in the news, but not in such a boring way. It's right at my fingertips. It's short. It's sweet. It's to the point. It's what I need to know. Links to everything as far as the morning brew and business casual will all be found in the description of this podcast, but that does it for episode number one, guys. I'm super excited to embark on this journey with you all. We, I will be publishing episodes every single week, every Wednesday. You'll have a brand new episode with a brand new guest, someone that is completely different, has a new story, has something that we haven't talked about before. So I'm really excited to, to start this with you guys and feel free to follow along on this journey. So subscribe to this podcast and as well as Kinsey, my inbox is always open. So feel free if you have a comment or suggestion or a question about the episode, feel free to email me normalguylazyeye at gmail.com and I will see you all next week.